By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. Welcome to this episode of the Conscious Fertility Podcast. I'm with Jeremy Pulsifer. Um, he is an acupuncturist in the state of New York. And I had the privilege of attending two of his lectures in, I think it was October, November of 2022, where he talked about consciousness and its relation to Chinese medicine. And then he talked about the biology and physics of Chinese medicine as well, and, and especially related to fertility. So I thought it would be perfect to have Jeremy on our podcast. And he also practices out of the famous Dr. Jill Blakeway's clinic. She's the author of Making Babies and other books, um, the Yin Ova Center in New York. He's also a teacher. He teaches students that go through the acupuncture programs. And he's really gifted at um, bridging the consciousness, the spirituality into the physics and the science side of it. And I want you to share a little bit about your background because when you spoke at the conference, you spoke different than any other presenter I've really heard. You were able to, you, you did characters, you did your, the way your voice um, went out into the audience. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in general and how we got to where you are today? And then let's talk about fertility and conscious fertility in particular. Well, thank you, Lauren. I'm, I'm so delighted to be here with you today and talking about all of these subjects and more. And to give you a, a snapshot of, of my background, a couple of different themes were running through life where from a very early age, I had been involved in the performing arts. Uh, there were some people associated with the theater and with Broadway in New York City who had relocated to the area of Portland, Maine that I was living in at the time. And so as a child, um, my parents were um, musicians and actors and involved with this group that had worked on Hell's a Pop and back on Broadway. Hank and Nancy Beebe, and I was in their regional theater in their spring mansion in Portland, Maine. So I was kind of raised up in this environment. And so speaking extemporaneously and elocuting and, and projecting my voice and, and thinking um, improvisationally was kind of programmed into me. An interesting sidebar is that when I was very little, about four or five years old, all of my siblings were uh, much senior to me. They were teenagers when I was born, and they used to take me to high school, and I'd hang out in the the senior lounge, and people would um, take turns babysitting me because they said I would stand up in front of these large groups of um, high school students and just lecture them as a four-year-old incessantly, and I have no recollection of what it was that I was lecturing on, but there was a tendency to operate as a bit of an instrument of, of informational reception and transfer. And it would, you know, without delving too deep into the detailing, it actually became quite um, acutely psychic in very pronounced ways that were immediately verifiable. 
So I think there was always a bit of an antenna and a, and a radio station proclivity that was built into my wiring, but I certainly stepped into the role with great aplomb and enthusiasm. And in all the later stages of my life, as I was a, a undergrad at Oberlin College in Ohio, continuing to have an interest in music and, and then theater, as well as pre-medical sciences, the fusion and hybridization of the scientific acumen with the need to express and speak and bring that forth vocally kind of merged quite naturally. And I had no idea that that was going to collide into what it is now. And you have that fusion because even in when you teach in the um, in the college level, um, you teach on research and statistics, very left brain to me. And then I also know you talk or teach on esoteric acupuncture. And then you also talk about the channel theory and biophysics. So you really have that fusion and bridge of the very left and right or the very physical or spiritual. And so it's, this is why I was looking forward to us having this conversation today, because I want to know how you kind of bring this to um, supporting women and men who are looking to grow their families with respect to fertility. How do you address the physical and the spiritual with them? Like, where do you begin? Yeah, it's really fascinating because I have this openness and willingness to live in the multidimensional and the transcendent and the esoteric. But a lot of the coursework that I taught at the, the master's level for the acupuncture degrees in New York City um, were evidence-based, right? Like um, foundations of evidence-informed practice, the scientific basis of acupuncture. And one of my mentors, Dr. Belinda Anderson, an acupuncturist and a famed microbiologist, had spearheaded a lot of this information about the scientific basis of acupuncture. I was teaching classes in tandem with her. And that's how that began as an opportunity for me to talk through the scientific lens about how something that was so multidimensional could be understood through the, the Western biomedical, more reductionist aspect. And that over many years, I'd say the last 15 years of teaching that material repeatedly and expanding it and developing it and sharing it with thousands of acupuncturists in New York City as they go through their training to become licensed practitioners. One of the things that Dr. Anderson had keyed into was fertility and research, like examining systematic reviews and, and how IVF and acupuncture worked in tandem and how acupuncture could be thought to advantage the efficacy of IVF. That was a, a clear focal point for her. And that became something that I naturally aligned myself with. And so I had some early successes in working in reproductive medicine with helping couples conceive and, and get to the point of delivering a healthy, happy baby, that fate would decree that um, this extraordinary practitioner and visionary, Dr. Jillian Blakeway, um, had founded this practice with her husband, Noah Rubenstein, in New York City, it was sort of set up that we would all meet at one point. And there were several times where our paths interlaced and eventually it came to be that I was able to come work in this center, the Unova Center, which is quite massive. There's an East Side location and Flatiron and Brooklyn Heights. And I'd say 60 to 70% of what we work with is using acupuncture for things like conceiving naturally, IUI, IVF, all the assisted reproductive technology. And 
Jillian had written books and had become quite known internationally as an author and speaker about these subjects up to the point where, and here's where everything merges, the work that Dr. Anderson started with the scientific basis of acupuncture, the course I was teaching biophysics, that eventually was a a similar subject that Jillian wrote about, the energy medicine, the science and the mystery. And so her and I had spoken avidly and and discussed a lot of the course content while during the writing of the book. And so it's interesting because I'm teaching a class that I've taught for 15 years that is also the subject matter of, of Jill's work as a vibrational healer. And so all of the worlds kind of collided together. And that really feels like it, there was some architecture that drew it to where it landed. And can we talk about both the physical and then this vibrational medicine. And I thought you talked about how you teach this and you, and you worked along um, Belinda Anderson and, and then obviously with Jill Blakeway, how do you communicate the science behind, or how do you see acupuncture can support uh, women and men, whether they're trying to conceive naturally or go through an IVF? And if you have any stories, please share. But I'm curious, how would, if somebody says, tell me how acupuncture can benefit me or how does it work from a, scientific perspective. And if you want to go out into the consciousness world as well, because that's what the theme of our podcast is, I'm happy to do that as well with you. Thanks, Lauren. I'm going to try to make this into two phases. And the first one will be the scientific basis of acupuncture. Something that I think the listeners today are going to really relate to is the mind has a central control panel and everything that's happening in the body is somewhat under the aegis of this sort of central processing unit, we'll call it the hypothalamus and the pituitary, the hypothalamic pituitary center. And the reason why I mention it is because of the, of the seven or so commonly accepted theories for how acupuncture is believed to work from the Western lens is acupuncture propagates nerve signals through the body because it's near neuronal pathways and lymphatic vessels and and muscular planes. And it propagates these signals from where the needles are inserted up to the central command. And we live in this sort of dual state, fight or flight, sympathetic tone, which allows us to stay alive and escape predators and and make mundane decisions that keep us extant. And then the opposite, parasympathetic tone, when there are no evident dangers, we can rest, we can sleep, we can digest our meals peacefully. And modernity and modern life all too often kind of throws us into a perpetual alarm, a perpetual sympathetic hyper arousal. And the beauty of one of the ways in which acupuncture is thought to operate is acupuncture signals to the hypothalamic pituitary center, everything's okay. We're receiving these gorgeous vibrations and the hypothalamus can either adrenalize the body through ACTH or it can produce beta endorphins and create bliss unspeakable. And the interesting thing about it is in this plane of duality is it's heaven or hell coming from the same place in the brain. In fact, there's a precursor molecule that produces each. And so that's really useful now migrating into the, the realm of reproductive medicine because the hypothalamic pituitary center controls so many systems, but the pituitary is the architect and orchestrator of the functionality of the gonad, right? And specifically, if we're talking about 
biological female reproductive operations, a person with a uterus, the pituitary is controlling through hormonal axes, the functionality of the ovaries. So, and I tell this to my patients every day, if the way in which acupuncture, one of those ways is thought to work is to stimulate the hypothalamic pituitary centers to optimize functionality in the body, and the ovaries are under that programming, then how advantageous that acupuncture can benefit reproductive health. And I think for thousands of years in East Asia, it was known that this is one of the most remarkable effects of acupuncture and Eastern herbal traditional medicine. Which we witness as practitioners, as do our patients, um, while they're trying to conceive, the changes in their cycle, change in blood flow, change in color, reduction of PMS and pain, we're seeing that regulation in the cycle based on the mechanism of the hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian, or testicular axis, and adrenal axis that you're talking about. Yeah, there's, there's one other subset to this that I feel really people can really relate to and understand. A couple centuries ago, there was a, a Chinese physician named Wang Qingren, and Wang Qingren had exhumed these cadavers from the earth and was trying to sort of reformat the, the finesse of anatomical layouts in the body. And in his examination of the thoracic cavity, had a kind of a new understanding of how the vasculature of the body was breathing its way through the lungs from the heart system. And by correcting the errors, in fact, that was the name of the text that he wrote, Correcting the Errors in the Forest of Medicine, realized that blood movement was one of the most central patterns, that circulation um, what we would call the pathology of that static or stagnant blood or blood stasis, that circulating oxygen-rich blood is one of the most important considerations in medicine in this tradition, and that there's a whole group of formulas based on sort of breaking through the stasis and allowing circulation. And so an easy way for us to also present this is oxygen-rich blood circulating through every area of the body brings in more oxygen for increased energy demand, right? For the evidence that oxygen has recently perfumed an area shows that ATP and increased energy demand can then be somehow accelerated or augmented. And we can have tissue growth, we can have better function of all the different systems, um, nerves can fire more appropriately, tissues can be refurbished, tissues can grow. And we're talking about say, a thin endometrial lining, there's enough energy demand to allow these processes to augment, expand, and develop. And I think people really have a much clearer idea that, oh, bringing in this currency of energy, oxygen, into an area is of advantage. Acupuncture is known to increase blood flow, right? So even in more simpler terms, to bring that circulation into the area of the womb and the pelvic cavity is going to have an enormous advantage. With that, if somebody's doing a medicated cycle like IVF, then more of those medications hopefully will reach the follicles for that follicular genesis, for that growth of those follicles, or, or if there's a man's a sperm cells. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I tell people when we're doing a follicular stim phase in IVF, right? And there are certain medications that are there to encourage the growth of an entire cohort of follicles so that they're all growing in tandem as a cohort right, then rather one taking the lead and more oxygen and circulation coming to that area is going to 
benefit the medication and benefit the ovaries to grow those follicles. And for the blood flow, a lot of the research that I've seen on acupuncture for blood flow was done with electrical stim acupuncture. If somebody's going through an IVF cycle, do you tend to use electrical stim as part of your practice or do you have different styles that you don't use the electrical stim? Well, electrical stim can be a stronger intervention. And in some instances, perhaps if the patient is deficient or we, we don't, we can use more subtle means. Perhaps it isn't indicated, but in most situations, I find that the use of electroacupuncture powerfully increases the outcome. I like to quote another Jeremy. There's a Jeremy who works in Montclair, who's um, quite well known, Jeremy Steiner. And he is, I want to make sure that I'm referencing the people that I'm speaking for here. Electrons are a benevolent medicine. Right? People think of exogenous electricity as something like foreign or alien to the body that's somehow injurious or scorching. And instead, we look at electrons, right? the, the, the pulsing of billions upon billions of electrons across the surface, creating a current, that they're the foundation of matter. With protons and neutrons, they are an aspect of the atomic substructure. So they are the ground of reality, even though they have these capricious, changeable qualities, they're a part of matter. So rather than looking at it as exogenous or externally applied danger, it's actually nourishment, right? It's quite like photons, it's light. It's the introduction of power and energy into the system. And we are electrical beings. We have electrochemical reactions and electromagnetic resonances that emanate from the brain and the heart and the eyes. And so that's one of our currencies of energy. And so when we introduce the power of that light of matter, again, things optimize in, in ways that are probably unheralded and unexpected. I see empirical evidence in the clinic every day of dramatic changes in the outcomes when e-stim is used, as we call it. And this makes me think about the conscious side of it. Because I remember in your the presentation that I listened to, you had one on um, electroacupuncture and reproductive health, but you also talked about just consciousness and, um, and light and energy. Is this an opportunity to kind of bridge into that? I remember you had a really nice introduction about the, this magnetic idea, the, like there were electrical, magnetic, bio entities as human beings and how we're connected to this, this universe. And I, I'm wondering if you need me to, to give you a little bit more setup or, or is your brain clicking in knowing what I'm kind of referring to from your earlier talks? Well, I think, I think this is an important subject because I, I want to always lead with the scientific first and with the evidence base and with what we believe to be the operations of physical reality. But to only speak to that, I think, is to give it short shrift. We are, we are multidimensional beings. And in the fact that we have electromagnetism, we are surrounded by so many levels of radiation, of electromagnetism, of the ether. And also, we are spontaneously involved in this background radiation of the field, of what they call the ZPF or the zero point field, that there is no real vacuum in reality, that matter is spontaneously being generated out of seemingly nothing and then disappearing just as immediately as it appeared. 
And all of that matter colliding and particles being born and sustained and destroyed in mere fractions of an instant is actually creating a sort of a communicative web. And the thing that's been most interesting um, in the research of the end of the 20th and beginning of the 21st century with physicists like the late Robert John at Princeton University and, and Hal Putoff, who spoke in the mid-90s, is that when we engage our consciousness with the substrate of matter, matter changes its function, almost as if the perception and the ability for us to use our sensory apparatus to witness, the witness actually is what's allowing matter to be, to remain extant, and we can influence it, and we can change the way it's orientating itself in space. And so the idea that there's multidimensionality, that there's something that transcends us as human beings, as, as mammals, as biological entities, even physics begins to speak of things that would normally be somehow subsumed under the banner of spirituality. And, and so I talk firstly about the scientific basis of acupuncture, but to say that that's the only mode through which we're operating in treatment would be to only tell half the story. And there have been unbelievable instances of that intuitive, of that sort of superordinate or suprasensory experience that I witness on a weekly. I, I'd like to say it's rarefied to make it not sound like there's such um, unbelievable activity happening, but I'd say on a weekly basis, I'm thunderstruck by the level of something coming from an invisible dimension and or perhaps a dimension that connects all places in space and time. And I have to emphasize that physicists themselves have suggested that there is an interpenetration or an interdigitation between the dimensions that is just a, a matter of fact. The retired and um, formerly tenured physics professor William Tiller from Stanford University talks about we live in an electrical dimension, one where the five senses reign supreme, and that behind this dimension, underneath it, is a magnetic dimension. And it's highly elasticized and pliable and malleable, and it's not really conjoined. It's not coherent with where we are, but it's there. But human consciousness, like everything else I mentioned, our attention and our emotion creates what William Tiller called the coupled state. And then that highly malleable, elastic, impressionable cake tin or cookie cutter style dimension, we can start programming it. And then it starts to outpicture into where we are. So the idea that a patient, a practitioner, or any person at any time can tap into the all-encompassing ether is quite natural. And it's interesting to hear scientists of renown speak about it in such a forthright manner, right? Whereas 50 to 70 years ago, people would be um, shaking their heads in disbelief with their own biases against it. So I'm understanding that there are physicists that are saying this is just facts, like it's not really debatable, but it doesn't seem like it's made critical mass because people aren't 
living by that. And, you know, our medical community, conventional medical community, you know, we're, we're still working on very much the physical. Um, so it's still got ways to go, I take it. Yeah, it's, you know, certainly it's not in the, the consciousness of the public domain, but I invite anyone who's interested in seeing the historical evocation of this in motion. Lynn McTaggart, a journalist, wrote this fantastic book called The Field. And in this book, and, and she continues to communicate with, with the masses and her readers um, online on a regular basis, but she lays out and enumerates the timing and the storylines of how physics tried to put this up at the forefront. And there have been many detractors and naysayers, but there is a, a, a definitive movement. And I think that it's only a matter of time for that very light groundswell to really push into the forefront, right? We, we must be careful because um, as it is stated, all great truths begin as heresies, right? And so anything that seems too on the vanguard or too ahead of the curve, it's going to take some time, but there is substantive evidence. And I think the more these subjects are discussed in a public forum, and the more people that attune to them, I don't think it's the, the public and the, the population of the earth that's resistant to it. I think that everyone's sort of waiting for that evocation to just spread like wildfire. And how do we bring this to your listeners, to the patients? And I'm look, looking more for the practical. So this for the, the patient, what's the physical? Uh, what are you doing on the body? And how are you helping them do their conscious work? How do you connect them to that part of themselves where they can somehow influence matter? And there, I'm assuming at this point in time, there's a limitation to what you can do with matter. It's, it's really exciting because all I can really do with childlike wonder is give you three examples of, of how this came into being. And, and the nice part about for any practitioners that are listening, this was me just witnessing and remaining in awe and remaining open and taking notes. I think that unconsciously I was inviting this in, but there wasn't like I had a, a script that I was working from. And everyone listening to this is going to thankfully say, aha, I've had that experience. I've known of this experience. May that be the, the wind beneath your wings to sort of raise up your faith that such things happen. And what it is, is we have very involved processes. We have a, a 90 day or three month preparation method at the UNOVA Center, where we identify the individual's unique archetypes of how their body is functioning and, and where it's in deficit or where there's difficulty and how we can bring it into balance. And the evidence has shown through research that in that preparatory moment of say 90 or 120 or, or 180 days, however long it takes to prepare for conception is a really critical phase. So can I just, for our listeners, just because there's this idea, there's this understanding that during the follicular development, the recruitment and maturation, it seems like on average the last hundred days. So kind of like a three and a half months is where there's a lot of growth in the follicle and the environment is going to impact that um, follicle reaching its potential. So you're working with the natural rhythm of the body, whether you're doing IVF or natural to help. I, I use the expression, nourish the soil you're playing with the environment, the cellular environment. So it's not like um, just before you're going to conceive, you're going to treat them, they're balanced, and then it's all good. There is working with nature, 
a period of time that you require to see some change, and that's on average 100 days? Yes, and I, I find that so artfully spoken, um, Lauren, by your words that you just shared. That is something that I think is of essence. I think many people that are seeking acupuncture and, and traditional medicine think, oh, I'm about to have a procedure. I'll do acupuncture right before. But really allowing the body and allowing, as you said, the nourishment of the soil, of, of optimizing the cellular environment and helping the body to achieve balance and to fortify where it's, it's deficient, that's where the greatest success happens. We can't just suddenly phase shift into optimization, into an idealized state. It's a process, just like over time, we, we choose different foods, our nutrition changes, our, our exercise, our, our breathing, our meditative endeavors. They're all things that have to be done more under the, the aegis of slow and steady wins the race. And, and when I've done that with patients thinking that I was helping their physiology and, as you stated, enriching the soil, sometimes it turns into a journey of the psyche. And, and although pregnancy and a healthy gestation and the delivery of a healthy baby is the ultimate goal, we end up in this 90-day period of working on anxiety and depression, right? Or, or my spirit is vexed. There has been tension between me and, and my life partner, or I'm, I'm working under a situation that has stretched me to the point where I can no longer hold the center. And, we, and I almost forget what the ultimate objective was, and I drop into the traditional medicine of helping to balance the psyche and work with that aspect of being. And in more than one instance, but in the recent past, as soon as we say, okay, now we're going to begin the process of attempting conception 90 days later, like there's an actual cycle about to be lined up for IUI, perhaps they're already pregnant because we worked on the part of the psyche that perhaps has an equivalent importance to the physiologic, right? And, and of course, we know that they're probably woven through one another. And that's, that's one level that I think can be universally relatable. The second instance is some patients come in with an assuredness that they know what the outcomes are going to be. And acupuncture can take you into this exalted state of like union with higher self or perhaps connectivity to the divine or perhaps just a still quietude that allows all aspects of being to be immediately accessible and understood. But on several occasions, people say that they kind of fall asleep and they feel like they drift off to some unknown Shangri-La. And, and the way in which we actually surmise that that's what's happened is that inevitably they say, right before you came in, I like snapped awake like I had dropped out of the sky into my body and woken with a start. And sometimes in this one instance, the patients have visions and people have come to me and said, yeah, I'm going to have a girl and um, she's coming and, and that's what's happening. And then like, even though I thought there were all these obstacles or impediments, that's what happened. And and of course, this seems spurious and intangible, 
but it's pretty overwhelming when you're directly in witness to it in the presence of that person. And there seems to be at some point access to that level of consciousness that perhaps the past, present, and future are all happening with simultaneity and the places that we believe, you know, aren't here, but are somewhere else co-mingle or um, coexist in this current space time that we're walking through slowly. And that's that quantum physics idea where there's this paradigm shift that you were talking about earlier. So thanks for dropping that in there as well, because there's this other idea that there's more to this world than we know. Or we, and I think most physicists will say, there's a lot we don't know that we don't know. And, uh, and, and what you shared is something about how things are happening simultaneously, which goes totally not how we understand this Newtonian 3D world. So that would seem a little offensive to some in the medical community, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to go far out on a limb to get into some of the, the more finely nuanced aspects of this. And so I'm going to now state with a tiny bit of prefacing, you can see that I understand from a Western scientific lens what's happening and how I use a methodical, deliberate, analytical approach to designing the treatments that I'm going to use, including the use of some technology, such as um, what my friend Jeremy Steiner would call electron-adapted neurotherapy, right? That's a lovely way of saying using electrons, using e-stim, right? I'm, I'm not shying away from the ascension of technological understandings and paradigms of how this works. But to betray my origin as an intuitive would be to leave out a substantive piece of the story. So now I must tell you that even... Um, and again, many of us say, who are we truly? We're but instruments, right? The, the process of nature in her um, sort of ineffable, unknowable, microscopic mysteries, we're really just facilitators. But every once in a while, something will happen that is so shockingly evident that something else is going on. After 50, 60,000 treatments, after 18 and a half years of licensure, Every once in a while, it's clear that there's some higher level of reality that is involving itself. Now, if we want to go back to Taoist mysticism, right, and the underpinnings of the, the philosophical and perhaps religious systems that the medicine is, is born of, there's the concept of an astral body, right, of a permanence. We, we call it the hun. And the hun is the association with the organ of the liver. And there, and not to get too um, detailed, but there's a yin hun and a yang hun. There's like an animus and an anima, and they come together and they spin around a spiritual pivot. And that is what embodies the, the new arrival to earth, right? There's a, there's a sort of an infinity principle, right? That we are not just sort of erupting out of the void, but we always have been. And so I'm just reflecting on concepts that I think will, will be resonant with a lot of people that are hearing me speak. But that realm can punch through into the reality of working with people who are involved in conception. And so I think the longer acupuncturists and people working with vibratory and what some people prefer to call it information-based medicine, you get these interrupts these uh, sort of invocations. And I've walked into treatment rooms before 
and I've been stopped in my tracks and a voice will say, don't worry. It's a girl. It's all set. <laughs> like, and then kind of in very frank <laughs> colloquial language. And it really throws me and I'm not shy because my patients know me and I, I hope I say, um, by the way, um, one of your ancestors is telling me that all is well. And, 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 you know, I don't normally tell people that because I don't want to involve myself in the outcome, but later on I'll mention it. And it, it happened recently and it, it's never wrong. I don't publish it. I don't broadcast it on television. I don't promise a rose garden, but they're never wrong when it's that striking. And so patients have said that that's come to them. I've had that experience where it's come to me. And I've even had patients come to me where they said that they've had dreams about my mother and her name. And she was in the dream. And she said, tell Jeremy about Sophia Loren. And if, if you understand the story of the, the, the great female actress, um, Sophia Loren, there's a whole fertility journey where there had been such repeated pregnancy loss that the physicians eventually put her to rest. And, and in the end, she conceived. And that's a huge story that, that I've shared with a lot of people. So that messaging coming through it, you know, whether it's just coincidence or what have you, that pretty much hits the mark. Like someone is speaking through these channels. And so I have to share that that is a very real operation. And yet it probably just stays in an individual's consciousness. And I, I don't know if it, we're at the level where we're going to publish books like, you know, Life After Life and Raymond Moody, MD, and mm -hmm. right, the, the level of where people are actively researching NDEs and near-death experiences. How much do these other realms involve themselves in creation? or in birth. And I think that's unexamined, right? So people are always talking about what happens after, what happens before, and, and are we open to it? And, and lastly, Lauren, I'd be remiss in my duties if I didn't say that some babies before birth are intensely telepathic. And I've, you know, periodically, if I feel that I'm good or friendly enough with the patient, I'll ask if I could just touch the abdomen and see if I'm able to, you know, just link with the, the child a little bit. And I've received direct inputting, like them telling me their name so that I would know that they're talking. And again, I just kind of have to keep it closed and then it, it comes out. And it's what's really curious is often happens with these phenomena is that they will use their nickname so that I know it was a direct hit. Like, you're not just guessing. A name that no one would know. When you said that part, I have two, two statement questions because mm -hmm. you talked about the nickname. Yeah. Um, first, I think it's my first time talking to somebody that I'm aware of that's uh, intuitive or medical intuitive. I had on yeah. a, a recent episode, Larry Burke, I'm sure his experience talking to medical intuitives and he's a radiologist and how that really kind of blew his mind, how the person could talk more about the patient than his MRI, but the intuitive was accurate without ever meeting the patient. I, I'm curious, right? Because like it goes beyond how we understand this world. And then I want to tie back into 
for our listeners, just more messages for them. Messages, not intuitive messages, but messages to support them on their journey. When you said the nickname, was it the baby's nickname? Like, because only they would know or who would know? I'm curious what you meant by the nickname that, that you, you would get um, when you would be connecting to this, this soul that's going to be a baby. Yeah, well, later on, I think once the baby's born, there's like an epithet or a diminutive that like, you know, my name is Jeremy, but people might call me Jer. Okay. Um, my mother's name is Patricia. Somehow that morphed into Tootie. Right. <laughs> and, and it's less likely that you're going to hit the name that becomes the familiar expression that shows that there's intimacy or, or closeness between people. So it, it's interesting to me that at that stage, before the baby's born, before that type of languaging happens, that the, the telepathic transmit will be something like that just to drive it home that I'm talking to you and yes, you can hear me. I, it's more of a confirmation that yes, this is really happening. And I think that that's more evocative of you receiving a clear signal by them even giving you the familiar term that they will be referred to that no one has used yet. Um, again, crossing timelines. Can you turn it on and off easily? Like I'm thinking listeners are going to be like, okay, I got to get on Jeremy's table. So you can tell me if I have a baby coming or what's my baby's name. And are, are all your patients open to this or that's the kind of patient you attract? Because I want to remind the listeners, Jeremy teaches on the research and statistics and evidence base and the biophysics. You can get really into the biology, the physics, the science of it. And then you've gone totally other, what appears to be other spectrum where you're talking about now, which I never knew we were going to talk about. So cool, medical and being a medical intuitive. So I want to know more about just your your clinical experience and also expectations because you may have people who are really hopeful or really desperate coming here saying, okay, touch my belly and talk to me, right? I'm just wondering, do you turn it on and off that easily? I do not. And I think that that's a good thing to bring up. Something that is a key aspect of this awareness or openness is that throughout my life, um, I've never been able to consciously direct it. So I'm using this as an exemplar of how we're all united in consciousness and how information propagates across sort of perhaps unknown or invisible pathways. But I, I, by no means do I package myself as a medical intuitive, advertise it, encourage it. It's a rarefied event. I, I think it's a universal talent. I don't think it's something that's unique. I mean, some people have a proclivity to express it more than others, but I think that we all have an instance where we're focusing with great intent on a particular person and then the phone rings and it's them or they, you know, there's some kind of connection that's like invisible telephone wires running from soul to soul. And so there was only one time in my childhood when I was seven years old, where I received a very clear message about a friend's grandfather halfway across the planet that they had, had died in London. We were in New York and I reported to my mother at age seven that at the time that it happened, you know, so-and-so's grandfather's passed and she wrote it down. And the next day we got a phone call after they uh, had returned or were about to return back to New York from the United Kingdom. And it indeed had happened at that time. So, wow, what an incredible 
capacity, but I mean, I never was able to like reproduce it on demand. And I think that it's more an instructional tool about our connection to higher levels of reality and that ability to sort of move through time and, and spaciousness and intelligent consciousness in ways that are perhaps unexpected. I'm going to seem like this isn't helpful whatsoever, but I have to have very difficult conversations with patients all the time because working in fertility medicine and reproductive health, there's often events that happen that are quite disappointing and upsetting. And I will very gladly drop into an emotional sphere with my patients and talk about nature's mysteries, right? Nature is perhaps at the microscopic level, um, quite unknowable and, and cool and mathematical and seemingly unfeeling. And no one talks to patients about this. Physicians, um, as a rule, certainly don't get into this discussion. And I, I have to tell people repeatedly, right, that because biological functioning and, and the miracle of the uterus, right, it's multi-cyclic. And so nature in her incalculable microscopic mystery will sometimes stop a process, knowing that there's another opportunity to do it later. Now, the human soul with emotion and spirit is inconsolable at that moment. It's a great difficulty and it's hard to grieve. But once I explain about that process, about that these are events that occur and that a certain percentage of, of early pregnancies are likely to have this happen, people are like, oh, wait, I didn't even know this. And, and putting it in the language of, you know, there's almost a mathematical component to this, when obviously we're more emotional, is very helpful and instructive to the patient. And so what I'm trying to say here is, when we're talking about the intuitive and, and sort of the the otherworldly or perhaps the interdimensional. I'm not stating that it's something that, you know, should be switched on and accessed, but rather it's a ability to peer into or receive part of that mystery. And, and I think that this is an important object lesson for everyone, that there is more to reality than meets the eye. And for somebody who teaches courses in evidence-informed practice and the neurophysiological explanation of how acupuncture works, if people that are focused on that subject matter are bold enough to come forward and say, there are some things that are perhaps unexplained, but they are phenomena. Here's how they might occur. Let's perhaps embrace them to have an expanded awareness of how the universe truly works. I think we're just at an embryonic or nascent mm. point in the journey I think that in 20 to 30 years, this will be common awareness. Right. It's a very slow, deliberate evolutionary process. And there's a lot of resistance to it. But we're on a heck of a journey. And, you know, the consciousness of the planet and all of its citizenry really needs to start to pay attention and take heed to how we're supposed to grow multidimensionally, right? Our survival yeah. depends on it. And it seems like um, it's speeding up um, the awakening in this consciousness and this idea as 
um, evidenced by we have a podcast called the Conscious Fertility Podcast, and we have um, books being written and published and retreats. And there's a lot more talk by physicists. I mean, 50 years ago, you would think it was the hippie having this discussion, but now you're having PhD physicists, quantum physicists that know all the Newtonian research and have done that. And now they're talking about stuff that we don't know we don't know, or as you said, things that appear to be multidimensional that are happening simultaneously and trying to grasp and understand that. And the message I, I think I heard, Jeremy, is, so tell me if this is what your message was. It sounds like you're, you're inviting this idea of openness, that there's more to this world than meets the eye, and do what you can. So there's eating well, you didn't say these words, but I'm hearing that there's still the physical, you're not ignoring the physical, move the body, eat well, sleep, you use Chinese herbs, you use acupuncture in your practice, and you also bring in this conscious aspect, and you're also open to taking some clues or, or tips from your intuitive aspects as well, not just what you see um, from a very Newtonian scientific perspective, old science versus maybe what we call new science. Am I understanding kind of your message? And, and, and again, I'll repeat the word. It sounded like this idea of having some curiosity and openness to this other aspect of healing and what this world is made up of. Yeah. I mean, I'm more than happy to, to, for academic purposes and for me to stay grounded in reality, to operate from that beautifully reductionist Newtonian Cartesian lens. But I will equally embrace things that are more evocative of organic, ecological, and total, such as systems theory, right? And, and the work of Ludwig von Bernalanffy and all these Nobel laureate scientists that have promoted such thought, right? Maturana, Ilya Prigogine, Bateson, all of this is actually becoming more and more uh, a commonality of understanding amongst the scientific world. But there's a key consideration in here that I'm, that I'm leaving out, um, almost a glaring error, which is that a few of my patients said to me when we talked about that, which was perhaps greater than our current understanding of how reality coheres and functions, a patient said to me the other day, you know, it's quite easy, really. We become contracted and stuck and fear-based, and we flee from the, the reality of the light or perhaps the truth that we have not yet um, embraced. And as soon as we get ourselves out of being stuck and in contraction and open ourselves to a field of infinite possibilities, kind of unclench and let the Tao flow through us effortlessly with comfort and ease, that's when the change happens. And the patient who had a very clear understanding of what was going to happen and when it was going to happen said, as soon as we enter that surrendered state of faith, of unblocking, of allowing things to move, because all is connected and all is moving with a swiftness, with very mellifluous stroke, everything will be okay. And I say this because one of my mentors, Dr. Jillian Blakeway, has said the same thing to the public in her writings and to me dozens of times. When we come out of that space of being stagnant or stuck, the possibilities then begin to move. And I mean, that goes back thousands of years, right, to 
even before Hippocrates to Heraclitus, if you prefer, for two East Coast Heraclitus, right? Heraclitus, who talked about a human being does not step in the same river twice. Stasis and stagnation was the fundamental aspect of disease theory from this figure who had not much still extant in the historical record, right? Stasis and stagnation being a fundamental aspect of pathology isn't just from East Asia, it's from all parts of the world in this early part of the development of medical consciousness. And so I have to put that right there. The truth and the operation underneath everything we just said is about recognizing that resistance and then allowing free flow to occur because that's a central precept of what acupuncture needles are doing as well. And it reminds me, I think it was episode one, two, or three with Dr. Randine Lewis, where when we have the resistance, we're not receptive. And as you said, when we have that free flow, that allowing, then there's more receptivity. And from a Chinese medicine perspective, especially if you're um, against the odds from a Western understanding, you know, when you look at your blood levels or your age, that receptivity becomes really important. I've worked in tandem with some of the most famous reproductive endocrinologists um, in the East and therefore the world, because a lot of them are in Manhattan. And I mean, they can be miracle workers unto themselves. I've seen so much happen that shouldn't have necessarily. Like we talk about the data, like this particular lining is too thin, implantation can't happen, none of this is going to work. And then somebody heads in and everything's not supposed to be the way that we hope it does. And it does anyways, because I can see in the person's soul that they are set to bring this to fruition, to bring it to completion. And even though the data sets were not in our favor, things still worked out. And, and I've had many of those experiences and to come back to technology. I mean, people can really go through harrowing journeys. I had a, a patient who was told by the RE, I'm not guaranteeing anything's going to happen. None of this should. And I went in there and I said, okay, if we're going to allow the miracle, if this is going to work, I'm going to use a little bit of microcurrent to allow the electrons and matter on its foundational level to organize itself in a way that leads to all best possible outcomes. And that was one of the instances where there was a success that the physicians involved couldn't even understand how it happened. And, and they didn't tell me that it succeeded until the first year birthday of the child. So I was left Not knowing. in a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and then later they said, yeah, we don't really understand how this all worked out. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, neither did I. I don't know. But I knew that in that field of infinite possibility, if we created the environment, as you said, allowing the soil to be enriched, there's one more component there that I think I've heard people describe this acronym, FAITH, and I'm afraid to use that, right? Because then we get into a whole other level of, of how we're inviting consciousness, but finally allowing it to happen. Yeah, getting out of your, Faith. yeah, allowing it to happen. And, and that, that can be, take a skill or a practice to, in order to allow, to surrender, to not try to control the outcome. And that is really, really hard on this journey but there are tools. I mean, in my practice, that's a big part of, I call my notice, accept, choose again under the accepting is 
developing practices to surrender into the moment. That doesn't mean you prefer this moment. It doesn't mean you resign to it, but it does allow you to remove the resistance by not um, trying to control it. You know, we're going to have to have a part two, Jeremy, because, um, and I knew this, I never knew where our talk was going, but I knew after having um, broken bread with you at the conference that we were together and hearing you speak that um, one is I wanted you on the podcast. Thank you. And I want you back. And two is I want us to put together a course for our colleagues, the acupuncturists on your style of treating reproductive health um, with your style and how you treat it. Cause it was brilliant what I saw. And I want to share that with my audience as well, f- with my colleagues. Um, I'll leave our listeners with this idea that I heard from you again, when you did the microcurrent and you just kind of allowed it, you gave it, you gave the body some, some ingredients and then it happened. That's the beauty of this medicine. And what I'm hearing from you and my style of practices, nourishing the soil, meaning just got to make sure the soil has its moisture. So it's the right moisture. There's the nutrients in the soil. Um, I'm pulling out weeds um, and, and contamination. And then I just expect the roots to take what it needs and it will thrive. And, and that's what you did. You sound like you gave the soil some of the things you thought it could help with this woman with the real thin lining. And, but you didn't tell, it wasn't to the detail of this is going to make the lining grow, but you knew I'm going to give the body this, the soil this, and then it was able to take that and rearrange or organize. Did I hear that correctly? Because that's how I interpreted that. Yeah. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm hearing it in a whole new way that, that allowing the introduction of a material, of a vibratory pattern, of a, of a substrate to come in and allow things to organize themselves in the best of all possible ways. And I hope I stated that succinctly. I like that. So Jeremy, as we wrap here, I want to know how people can connect with you. I don't know if you have Facebook, IG, or website. Is there a way they can connect to you? You mentioned Jill Blakeway, Jillian Blakeway. I, I, I know her as Jill Blakeway. I'm the author. She has a book called Making Babies. We can put that in the show notes. And then Energy Medicine, maybe. Do you think that's a good book for the listeners? Because she talks about many healers that are working on more on a quantum level of healing versus what we understand is the Newtonian style. Is there any books you would recommend for our listeners and how can they find you? So I can put that in our show notes. Well, I think that the easiest way for anyone to find me is through the Unova Center in New York City, simply because I'm, I'm working there quite actively. And my name, which will be written in, in the, the liner notes here, Jeremy Pulsifer, Right. We'll, we'll pretty much find the only Jeremy Pulsifer on Facebook. Um, Jeremy.pulsifer at gmail.com is perfectly viable. But because of my work in New York City, searching my name through Unovo will, will pretty much land you in direct connectivity. Jeremy, thank you for uh, spending time with me today on our podcast. I enjoyed this and I am pleasantly surprised. I, I knew, learned something new about you, about the intuitive side, the medical intuitive side. Yeah, Lauren, I'm, I'm so grateful for you allowing me to expatiate in, in such realms. It, it wasn't planned. Um, another example of, of the extemporaneous spontaneously arising. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca. That's A-C-U-Balance.ca. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.